Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. And now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. It is May 4th, and we are now ready to start today's Hot topic segment. We have Dale Vermillion on the program. Dale is the founder and CEO of Mortgage Champions. Truly, especially in this champions part, does a great job. He has taught over 450 lenders and over 1 million loan officers. Think about that. That is a lot of people. A lot of lenders, over 1 million loan officers, on a systematic, value-based approach to sales, customer service, and management that delivers results and builds lasting customer loyalty. I, folks, I can tell you firsthand, we had Dale come work with us, I think it was in 19, it was in the mid-90s, maybe the, it was after he started, but we were one of his first customers, and we had a last mortgage company that I was, uh, was a partner in, in Southern California, United Lending Group. Dale came in, and we had a very definite increase in sales. So I encourage you to get a hold of him. Listen all the way through, but I'm really looking forward to having you on. And, Dale, it's good to have you here, friend. David, what an honor to be back with you, my dear friend. Great to be here. Well, I appreciate you. At the core of who you are, your values, we line up so much in so many ways. And uh, you have a passion, and we share a passion to help make good companies great, and you really do that. And I want to start talking about building successful sales-oriented or sales-centered, metrics-driven, Andy Shell loves that, metrics-driven, and others' first companies. Talk about that, please. I'd be glad to, David. Thanks for asking. Well, let's start with the others' first piece because I think that's the, the primary philosophy yeah. behind all of the other things. You know, we, we've built this as our philosophy for a long time. It's based on my life verse out of Philippians 2, chapters 3 and 4. It just simply yeah. says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things with humility. Value others above yourself, looking out for their interests and not your own. My, my firm belief, David, and you know this, is we've been friends for almost 25 years, is that to build a powerful company, you have to first be focused on your customers and your partners yeah. and, and your employees. If you're a leader, it can never be a self-centered focus. It's got to be a very others-first culture because what that does is that literally draws people in to, to be successful. Now, how do you combine that with metrics-based and technology-based? Well, let me say a quick statement about technology that I think is so important. You know, today... If you look at the marketplace today, we, we are more commoditized right now than we've ever been. That's what the coronavirus has really done. It's commoditized the yes. marketplace yep. because of all of the changes. And when you're commoditized, let me tell you what makes all the difference. How you merge the combination of great service with great relationships with great technologies. You, the, the technologies that you have are critical to succeed because what technology is designed for is to create efficiencies and to create effectiveness in 
your productivity. However, what it's not designed for is emotional engagement with people. And in order to survive, yeah. in order to succeed, in order to thrive, you've got to combine the two. As I've said many times, it was human innovation that created technology. It's human interaction that maximizes technology. So if you can take and build your organization to Great be a very statement. others first mindset, where it's, it's, it's geared towards how do we help our customers at all costs? How do we provide for our partners at all costs? How do we treat our employees the best we can? You build that mindset, you bring in the best technologies, and you understand that technology's best when you combine it with relationship, which can only be done through human interaction. You have now built a very powerful system. Now you just layer on top of that the metrics that are necessary. And that's simple. It's making sure that your employees are doing the activities and the actions that demand results. So I'll give you a quick, simple example of this. If I want my sales force to close 15 loans a month, what do I need them to literally do? There's a thousand answers to that. I'll give you one answer to that. Get them to make one committed sale a day. Because if they get one committed sale a day, they're going to put 21 deal in their pipeline per month. At a typical 70% conversion rate, that's 15 loans a month. It's that simple. If you can build to that, you build a great organization. That's great. So when you talk about sales, so define a little bit of that. It's not just getting a transaction, but it's selling or getting out and talking to a realtor, a builder, something. And describe that just a little bit more detail into that part of it when you may go get a sale. Absolutely. So let, let's take it on, on two different fronts. Let's take it first on the consumer front of the transaction. Right. The, the key to a sale is really two significant actions. The first one is establishing enough relationship and loyalty and time with your borrowers to understand what it is you're trying to do for them. Look, the, the single biggest mistake that I've seen loan officers make my entire career is they don't spend enough time with their customers. So they're trying to solve problems without knowing the problem. You, you can't do that. And in today's That's marketplace, right. because of, it's so true. Because of it's, COVID, They don't take the time to find out what the problem is. It's uh, so much of the problem is. That's exactly right. And, and today, when you think about today's consumer and the change that the COVID-19 and coronavirus pandemic has had on human beings is everybody's isolated today. The need for relationship has never been greater because people want to connect. That's our human desire. Therefore, right. you've got to build that relationship to understand it. But then on the backside of that, you've got to get commitment at the point of application. The number one mistake, David, that I see in the sales side is we take an application, we get a borrower interested, and then we end that call without capturing documentation that establishes commitment. So now they go shop us, and they end up going to another competitor because there's always somebody cheaper than you. You've got to make sure you establish it right on the consumer side. On the partner side, it's being consistent with your partner, staying in contact with them, making sure you're establishing yeah. a relationship. And, and you and I talked about a big mistake that loan officers make, and it's this. The loan officer kills themselves to get a relationship with a realtor, okay? The realtor <laughs> yes. gives them the business because they say, you know, you're the guy I want talking to my customers. And then what do they do? They hand that off to a loan assistant who is handling the transaction instead of the person that the realtor wants. What you want to make sure with your partners is you are present, not just with them, but with the consumers also. So you really connect those two pieces together. There's a place for the loan assistant, but it's making sure when it comes to the communication that you're leading it all the way. I, I, I think that's a point to be able Absolutely. to maximize everything. Yeah, yeah, I love Absolutely. it. I love it. Their role is to back you up and, and to the back, do all exactly. of the, the things that, yeah, that, that you don't have the time to do if you're a top flight loan officer, but you've got to connect with that consumer 
So that literally what happens is, I mean, imagine this, you've got a, a real estate partner, they refer a customer, you make an instantaneous call, or you, you take that call from that customer and you connect with them within minutes, you introduce yourself, you set it up for your LOA, that realtor is going to get a call from that consumer saying, oh my gosh, that person you referred me to not only contacted me in less than five minutes, they were phenomenal and they gave me this, this great person that I'm going to be working through my loan all the way right. to closing. That's the way you do business. So good. That's so good. Let's talk about how when it comes to balancing technology, I know you believe in it, uh, using technology, and the services mortgage companies offer with the relationship aspect of the business. Can you tell us some of the common errors companies are making? And with working with 450 companies, I bet you you've got a few examples. Yep. So the single biggest mistake is this, that we, we have a lot of online applications today, and what we do is we let the customer do all the work, and, and we don't engage with them during that process to handle the relationship side of it. Again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Technology is not designed for the emotional engagement piece of the relationship. It's only designed to gather the information to be able to make it available to customers when they want to be and to expedite the process. So you need to make sure that you're co-piloting with them through this process so that if you've got an online application, you're still making that connection to create the human side of that, to create that emotion and connection that's so necessary that leads to loyalty, that leads to trust, that leads to a better understanding of what they're trying to accomplish so you can provide better solutions for them. That's absolutely critically important. Second is, in today's marketplace, use your technologies the right way. And what I mean by that is we should be very visual and vocal today, talking to customers as much as we can, whether yep. it's Zoom or GoToMeeting, whichever one you want, you know, using those <laughs> yeah. technologies. Yeah. <laughs> and having conversations, not just texting and emailing. That is yes. not going to build connection. That is a mistake that people make all the time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, what can people do to find this balance? I, I believe in texting because a yeah, text message is read within five seconds or less, usually within three seconds uh, when it's sent. And there is a place for text message because if you send an email, 37% of them are read. And then I see about a text message, it has that kind of read rate and it's usually within three to five seconds. So there's a place for technologies. Help us work through that balance. And then when to use video, how do you create the efficiency? Because I know you do a lot of efficiency consulting as well. So when it comes to sales, work that out for us. Your recommendations. So don't confuse the connection and information part of technology with the relational aspect of technology. That's the whole secret to really being successful. So text is absolutely powerful. It is much faster in response than email is. It, it's, it's much more personal to that user in doing that, but yep. it still does not establish the relationship. So if I want a customer to get back to me from a lead very quickly, my first line of attack is going to be to call them and try to contact them. If I miss them, I'm going to text them immediately to, to get back in contact with them and then follow as email as the third avenue within that. The key here is I still want to have that conversation with them, but I want to use text as much as I can for quick answers, quick contact, and, and quick ways to get in touch with my customers that they're probably much more readily available to respond to than they would an email. The key is, is still making sure you're triggering that relational conversation because, again, mm, I'm going to say it time and again, can't solve what you don't understand. 
That's so good. You can't solve what you don't understand. So let's get our regulars in on this. Start with Andy Shell, then go to uh, uh, Alan, and then Joe. So Andy, I know you are. He's already hit on some wonderful hot buttons for you that you're a big fan of. So hi, Dale. Thanks for your your um, amazing comments. I've been been taking notes and been really aligned with everything that you've been saying and. And I think about the origination sales force that I've I've worked with directly or indirectly over the years and even just very recently and the the reality of your words and the seeing that seeing those words and the actions that strive from them embodied in the actions of originators seems to have a, a disconnect. And it's been like this my entire I've been in mortgage lending forty years that it's it seems like it, it, there, there's Tom sometimes where it lands and sometimes where it, it, it doesn't land as effectively. But what can you say about how to improve the stickiness so that people embrace your comments to their core being rather than just acting it but believing it and, and the actions come from an inner decision? Great question, Andy. So, so there's the way that I view this. There are only two sales approaches that are available to any sales force. There's the quality approach and there's the quantity approach. Your comments are exactly correct. Most salespeople that I train when I first meet them are taking the quantity approach. Let's talk to as many people as we can for as quick as we can, make as many offers as we can and see what sticks. And the fact is, not a lot happens is you're basing the entire decision for the consumer on price and product because there is no relationship, there is no trust, and there is no true loyalty established. There might be some level of trust, but it's not the depth you want it to be. And when it's a price and product decision, they're going to go to the cheaper product. But the quality approach is where you say, you know what, let me, let me rethink my strategy. If it literally takes one committed sale a day where I spend enough time where I loosen up that customer to not only give me all the information I need and get to know them better to make a better solution, but get access to their documentation, which technology is great in that area. We can get it online very quickly today. Then what happens is you've got a truly committed borrower that's not going to back out on you in the end result. So your numbers go up, and if you can do that two times a day, you're closing 30 loans a month. Three times a day, 45 loans a month. I have trained tens of thousands of 30 to 50 loan-a-month producers around the country on this simple process of taking a quality versus a quantity approach. Wow. Great point. Great stuff. Thanks, Dale. Alan. You're welcome. Good stuff. Well, I, I did the same. I actually wrote, made some notes. And you said one thing um, before, you know, use your technologies the right way. And you all said make conversations. It's so, so funny because a year and a half to two years ago, I built an artificial intelligent human that in the financial institution world that, that basically it was a trusted relationship. And that's one thing that you sort of touched on, right? You, you have to understand the person you're talking to. And what was kind of unique is I brought it to market as a pilot and to talk to people. And what I learned is I'm not a conversational designer. And that is a true job role. People really do go to college for that. But I don't know if you've had any experience there. I thought maybe because you said that, use technologies the right way and make conversations, if you could shed some more light on what, what maybe you've experienced that works and doesn't work. Yeah, so 
I will tell you that this is the big missing puzzle within, within the mortgage industry because what happens too many times is, you know, everything is electronic now. We get on the phone with a customer, and what do we do? We go from screen to screen, box. It's what I say. It's, it's a very interrogational approach to sales instead of a conversational approach to sales. And we know that's not how people buy. A, a mortgage is the single largest, most personal financial decision people make in their lifetime in most cases. The more you mm-hmm. understand them and the more you break down the resistance by building relationship, the less they focus on price and product and the more they focus on how you can help them. It's interesting. I had a client I worked with, a, a large bank last year. The loan officers kept telling me, oh, it's all about rate. And I said, okay, I'm going to listen to 25 calls, recorded calls. Out of the 25, literally only two out of the 25 of the customers actually were the ones who brought up the rate. The other 21 times it came up, it was a loan officer who raised the question, <laughs> not, not the consumer. So we tend to move into transactional instead of emotional conversations. We need to get more to the emotional side. When somebody says, what's your rate? Simple answer. They're, they're, they're as good as anybody out there today. We're all commoditized today. My rates are fantastic. We're at the lowest rates in history, but here's the deal. I'm going to show you ways to save money and ways to get a mortgage that nobody else can, and I just need 20 minutes of your time to show you how, and if I can't, you don't have to work with me. You can work with somebody else. And no, almost every consumer will take that bet, and you end up winning the deal because you get the time with them to win the loyalty over that's so important. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's great. I would, I would completely agree with you. Yeah. Joe Farr, good to have you with us in the interview here. What questions do you have for our good friend? Yeah, Dale, you, you, you mentioned uh, another's first company, and, and I don't know if I interpreted that right or not, but it, in the past, there uh, we I had issues with the personalities in the process, and a lot of people in the, to do the task to close a loan. Usually the salesperson has the more aggressive, more assertive, personality, if you will. So that other concept, does that pertain to within the company, you know, as far as creating a team that works together? You know, it's funny. David had mentioned that I've worked with over 450 companies, and I think we're closer to 600 now, believe it or not. And and I will tell you that the companies who have stood out, literally, and and every one of them I've worked with, we've seen their numbers go up. But the ones who have doubled and tripled numbers, they take this as their corporate philosophy, and they literally apply to every human being within their organization, whether your operations, your sales, your leadership. If your leadership, your role and goal is to make your employees the most important thing, to make sure you give them the best you can every single day. When you do that, they're very loyal and do a great job for you. Your employees have to do the same with the customers and the partners. They have to have the mindset that we're here to make sure that that customer gets the very best loan, that our partners get the very best service. And when people work from that vantage point where they're always looking out for the other, what happens is you remove selflessness within that or selfishness, I mean, within that, and you create selflessness in place of that. And everybody wants to work for a company like that. And everybody wants to work with a company like that. And the numbers just start to escalate quickly. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we're talking about, you know, what it takes to create synergy and teamwork uh, between operations and sales and productivity. Could you give us, again, some insights of what you recommend, what you find that works best, and uh, how you go about that? If someone were to retain you, how would you advise them? Well, the number one thing is you got to make sure that, first off, each side understands the other side's role. You know, one of the things that I commonly will tell my clients is, or ask the question, 
When's the last time your operational team has spent any time with a loan officer seeing what the sales side does? And when's the last time your sales team has spent any time with the operations team <laughs> understanding what they do? You know, it, it's amazing when you see the other side and how quickly your yeah. opinion changes. <laughs> so once that happens, that helps starts to change things. And then the key is, is making sure that you've got good, consistent communication. You know, I'm constantly working with teams on making sure they're establishing weekly calls between operations and sales, which a lot of them didn't do before I walked in the door to create a level of communication where you can work through issues, work together and, and start to build trust between those two sides because you have to work together to be successful. That is so true. I'm chuckling about this because <laughs> it's one of those things when I was a loan officer and I did not have the appreciation on the other side. I'll never forget the day when my, my uh, boss came and ruined my day. He says, Dave, I got some good news. We got a new spot in the corporate office for you. And I thought, oh, this is a promotion. It wasn't. I had to go in and work as a processor, as an opener. And they made me work through all those channels because I was such a complete pain in the derriere for all those that were. And I came out of that, Dale, with such an appreciation that is so, so, um, so amazing. Uh, Andy Shell just texted me a question. Andy, jump on in if you want and ask it. Uh, this is a great time for that. Go okay. ahead. Thanks, Dave. Hey, Dale, I had another thought. So you you started the discussion talking about um, being other-centeredness or other-centered. So and I love that. I think how, how can we help others being focused on what the needs of the others are? But 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 also in the sales process, you you've you've referenced about controlling the, the, the relationship, controlling the customers, controlling the partners. I wonder if you could take just a, a minute and describe the, the conflict there and how to do both other-centeredness and control at the same time. Man, great question, Andy. So here's your answer, okay? And, and, and any psychologist will agree with you that this is the right answer. When you think about how do you control a conversation or a relationship, if you were to ask most salespeople that question, their answer would be, to tell people something, to talk. Well, Brian Tracy, one of the best trainers of all time, said this, telling is not selling. And that's absolutely right. I, I've taught this to every salesperson I've ever trained. The only time you actually control a conversation is when you're asking questions. So if I were to ask any one of you on this call your name or your favorite color or your favorite sports team, the only thing you can focus on to answer that question is my question. So I'm literally in control of that, even though you're the one doing the talking. The mistake is... Most people think if they just get on and talk, they're in control. But no, that person's not paying one bit of attention necessarily to what's coming out of their mouth. So we need to switch from telling everybody what we're going to do for them to getting and saying, look, before we get into that, let, 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 let me just tell you a few things about me. But I really want to hear about what you're trying to accomplish. And as they start to speak, you're actually in complete control of that conversation and they love it because now they're, they're having a listening person who they know is paying attention to what they're telling them, and they feel like you're actually serving them well when you do that. It changes the entire way that you communicate, and it changes your relationship immensely. Perfect. Yeah, I personally call it a control through listening. It's control awesome. through listening. Um, hard to you do, know, but great you know, stuff. 
It is hard to do, Andy, and that is it's learning that listening, you can be in control. A lot of people say, if I'm not talking, I'm not in control. <laughs> Wrong. you got to get a hold of Dale and get that corrected. That is for sure. You know, one of the things, Dale, when we've been together, you talk about something called pawning, and, it, and it's a mistake. What considerations should we have about taking control of our customers and partners? Talk about that. So when, when you're talking about pawning is specifically, I talked about it earlier, where you know, really great loan officers that I meet around the country who are really good at, at hunting and getting realtors yeah. and getting partners and building those relationships. When Great. they get the actual leads, they pawn those off too quickly. You don't need to spend 45 minutes with Yeah, you don't need to spend 45 minutes with the customers. You just need to spend enough time to establish that high level of service and that relationship and that integrity so that you've been known by them. And when that happens, it changes the entire transaction. That's so good. Yeah, that is that is so, so important. When it comes to all the various teams that you've worked with, can you talk a little bit as we wrap up the interview about the importance of achieving differentiation in a competitive and oftentimes over-commoditized environment that we find ourselves, especially now? Absolutely. So the key to differentiation is to remember what you control and what you do not. So most companies that I talk to, when I ask them the question, what makes you different? their answers almost always fall back to three areas, price, product, and program, program including their technology. Mm-hmm. And every time they answer, I, I, I look at that and I go, all right, let me ask you a question. Isn't there a cheaper price lender out there or many of them? They go, well, yeah. Okay. And doesn't the products you have, doesn't almost everybody have those products? Well, yeah. And can't anybody buy those technologies? Well, yeah. Okay, so how is that your differentiator? That's not your differentiator. Your differentiator is not the price, product, and programs. It's the relationship you establish. It's the service you provide. And it's the approach that you take with your customers and your partners in really establishing a different mindset. So in other words, the human side is what makes you different not the product side, because everybody's got the same price, product, and program at the end of the day, but not everybody can be you, and not everybody can uh, have yeah. a crack sales force that is great with their customers. That's where you create your differentiation. It's, you know, it's, it's the thing I talk about all the time with clients when I'll be talking to a prospective client who's thinking about hiring me, and they'll say, well, you know, we don't really have a budget for training. I'll go, that's okay. Do you have a budget for marketing? They go, well, yeah. I go, okay, how much you spend? And they'll tell me millions of dollars. I say, okay, so you're spending millions of dollars to market leads to hand to people who aren't well-trained to execute on those because <laughs> they don't that's know how to we were. Yeah, that's <laughs> where go, we were. Uh, and that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we were spending over a million and a half dollars a month on our direct mail campaigns way back in that is this back in the late 90s and when you came in yep. and we were having this very problem the the result that you had was tremendous. Alan just shot me a quick text has a quick question for you. Alan, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Dale, you know, it made me think for somebody that wants to work with you, what are what are the next steps, you know, do most people truly know where their challenges are or where they want to prove and they just say, "Hey, you know, it takes us eight times through a chat bot to talk to somebody or or we use the best technology, or you have to go in and, and really just listen, learn, and understand. I just thought for our audience it may be good to hear more about what you, you do in your next steps. Every client who contacts us who has any level of interest in working with us, I always start with a one-hour orientation to just really get to know them and understand their business, and I know exactly the right questions to ask to uncover 
needs that they may not even realize they have at, at, at the point they do. I mean, after 25 years of doing this and you know, as many years I've done this, you kind of know the common mistakes that happen out there. So, you know, it's, it's a thing that I teach to loan officers, you know, before you start to solve, understand what the true problems are, what the true needs are. And, and that's what we do is we spend time to really help customers think through their culture, their process, you know, their, their synergies between their ops and sales teams, their leadership mindset. We, we ask all the right questions to understand that. And then once we do that, we can tell them then where we know we can make a big difference in their organization. And, and that's how we've, I've worked for 25 years. There's so much good information there. We've run out of time, Dale. We're just at the end of it. So how can people get a hold of you? i got some questions coming in from listeners. As you provide that, I may get slipped in one last question. Thanks for asking. Just go to dalevermillion.com. That's, that's our website. Or, you know, I'm on just about every social media you can be on. So if you just Google my name, you're going to find me. There's no question about it. There's a list of questions coming in. This is one that I want to get to real quickly. Any thoughts you have on Consumer Direct as a business model? You definitely want to have a Consumer Direct division. In fact, I work with a lot of retail companies, and one of the constant things that I'm recommending to them is build a Consumer Direct partner within your business so that as the market shifts, you can address both sides of the equation. It's going to help build better stability for your organization. And you know what? Consumer direct's never going away, particularly with technology being what it is. It's it's actually going to get stronger over time. So yeah, I share that same opinion. Our last mortgage company was 20 years ago. Consumer Direct, we were one of the leaders in it. You were there at the very foundation of it when we were really getting cranking it up in a big way. It made such a huge difference. Dale Vermillion, so fun to have you here. Got to have you back. Sorry, it's been so long to have you here. And so we got to have you back, friend. Really do. Would be honored, David. It's, it, I just want to thank you for all that you're doing in the industry, man. You, you guys and your team are, are such a light, and, and you're adding such value. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for having me here today. Well, we're, a part, we're on the same team, Dale. We're all trying to do, make a difference in this industry, and it's, it's the values that we go at things that, that really bond you and I together. We have such strong core values, and I'm just so grateful for our friendship, grateful for you, and more excited to share you with our listening audience. And folks, get Dale in. Not only will he help your business, the best part of it is it's all about results, and Dale gets them. I was on the, the executive team that brought him in, our last mortgage company. I was, you would have told me, I would have said, not possible. I won't even tell you how much it was because you won't believe me, folks. It was a huge lift, significant. Dale, thanks so much for being here with us today, friend. Really appreciate you. Same back Thank you, David. Job. God bless you, my friend. God bless you too, my friend. Appreciate it. We've had as our guest, Dale Vermillion, founder and CEO of Mortgage Champions. As I'm sitting here on this podcast, just got an email from Gregory Keith. He got clearance from the senior management there, or the, the powers to be at Jenny Mace. We're working on getting Greg in to talk about qualifications and what does it take to be Jenny May approved. Really excited about this podcast, folks. Send me your recommendations on what you'd like for future guests. Um, get a lot of feedback. Dave, great podcast today. We We've worked with Dale in another one. We've worked with Dale in the past. He is, I got to tell you, first thumbs up, uh, top, top drawer, uh, some of the best material. We're still using it. It's been years. We need to have him back. Uh, great comments coming in, Dale. Really appreciate it. So, folks, it's been great to have you here. Appreciate you for being here. you got raving fans, Dale. I'm just looking at them all coming in. It's crazy. It's loving it. <laughs> loving it. Appreciate that. <laughs> 
You betcha, friend. I'll say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lender One, as well as Mortgage Collaborative, the CMLA, Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America, as well as Indicom, Incelerate, Ainsworth Advisors, AI Assist, Celebrity Home Loans, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, Modex, Velma, VendorSurf, and Vidyard. Got the V's in here, the last three V's. <laughs> At the end, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Be sure to tell your friends about this podcast, share this podcast, and look forward to having you back next week. Have a blessed week. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.